0: This is episode 99 of Alohomora for August 30th, 2014. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Alohomora. I'm Eric Skull.
1: I'm Kat Miller.
2: And I'm Michael Harley. And our very distinguished guest today is Lindsay Cummings, the author of the Murder Complex series, which has recently been published, and the upcoming release of The Balance Keepers, uh, which will be in stores on September 23rd. Welcome, Lindsay.
3: Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm so excited to be here.
2: We're so excited to have you. Now, I found out through your website, you are quite the Harry Potter fan, it would seem, just from little tidbits that I Um, saw. Yes.
3: Potterhead (laughs) for life, always. Yes. Yes.
2: Did you? Oh, always. Yeah. I see what you did there.
0: Uh I see what you did there. Well, I was just going to say, of course, she's a Harry Potter fan because she's showing up on our show.
3: Well, yes. Yes.
2: But we screen she's...
0: people like our screening process isn't that intense, but you kind of have to be a well, Harry I, Potter fan. I, to be honest.
2: I hope this is still true. Do you still have a hedgehog? I named do.
3: Hedwig? I do. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I love you even What's more. What's Hedgehogs. They're my Hedwig. Hedwig. His name is. Uh. Yeah,
1: and so and I have a cat named Crookshanks. So. <sighs> I think you just got like 25,000 new fans. Right?
3: Uh, well, <laughs> well, 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 Congratulations. Well, well, that depends. <laughs> if
0: there are images on social media, Oh, 100%. Then...
3: They're everywhere.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I gotta, we got to hook up. We got to connect. At the end of the show, we'll ask where people can find you. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, please be sure to tell us where we can find the images of your adorable hedgehog and cat.
1: <laughs> what um, what house do you identify with? Ooh,
3: you know what? Y'all might not like me for this, but I think I'm a Slytherin.
0: No, oh, are hey, proud great. to admit it you know
3: we love that actually. we never get we...
2: slytherins on the show
3: yeah it's very rare <laughs> actually well i mean i write pretty creepy stuff so i i just fit
1: <laughs> like <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> i consider myself 49 percent slytherin okay. so i get it so we I get, get it. along it's all right yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely
2: so we're missing we're actually missing a gryffindor today but eric you're you're you always cool. make a good stand in gryffindor Thank so. you.
0: I am a, I misstanding standing Gryffindor. I try to be,
2: you have the robes. So I do have the robes. Yes. And the tie. That's well, and true. Lindsay, I also saw that, um, the balance keepers, your upcoming trilogy that you, that you're working on has been favorably compared to, um, Harry Potter one. I, I saw one review said like Harry Potter underground.
3: Yes. Um, Ooh. It, I'm so excited about it. Um, so when I first kind of got the idea for this, I wanted to do, it's kind of like a steampunk type of harry potter um and it's set in the core of the earth where these kids get these magical tiles and they have to be in the core for them to work and there's this whole school down there and when they go to that school they train in these pit practices and it's basically like this huge steampunk like um training center where there's like these big pipes they have to climb and there's like steam shooting out everywhere and there's little aspects of magic and but overall you know i wanted to give kids kind of a a little bit of a familiar feeling from harry potter as they were reading it and i i hope that's what i've captured
2: that's fantastic. Cool.
1: Damn, that sounds really cool.
0: It sounds hot, actually. The center of the earth is pretty hot. It yeah. <laughs> it's a little
1: bit. <laughs> must be no.
2: warm there. Yeah, it's funny because I
1: knew, I knew what the series was about, or the, the book was about, but hearing you say it, it sounds even better. I'm, <laughs> excited. I'm really excited for it now. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Uh,
2: so before we move on to today's uh, chapter discussion, we want to remind uh, our listeners to make sure and read chapter 21 the eye of the snake from order of the phoenix
1: but of course as usual before we go on to that chapter we're going to discuss some comments from our previous week's chapter which was chapter 20 so there was a lot of really varied discussion this week and some hilarious comments so if you're not a regular you know like checker outer of the forums that made no sense you know what i meant then go to the forums (laughs) this week because there's a lot of really 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 funny stuff on there Um, But our first comment comes from the main site, from Elvis Gaunt. It says, Hagrid says that they had to pretend to travel like muggles because he shouldn't be using magic. But the trio had cleared his name. So why is he still banned from owning a wand or doing magic? And, before we comment, there was follow-ups from Hufflepug and Snitch the Snatch. They, They both basically said that they think it's because of his lack of magical education that you know that's why he's not allowed to do magic so then I had a follow up so if that's the case why did Hagrid not go back to school and can magic maybe not be learned at a later age so lots of compound questions there but Whoa. throw it at me what do you think
2: hmm I, I thought it was the way I interpreted that they can't use magic or that Hagrid's not using magic on the trip is because it's not safe like it will give them away because he's already you know Extremely tall and wandering <laughs> <Right. through. laughs> it's like
0: travel. Why is he bothering to travel like a muggle? Because he's so big. He's, he's, like he's a clearly a giant. Giant
3: ball of walking hair. Like, <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> there's so, something different.
2: So, yeah. I'm assuming that if he was, I, th- I thought when he said that he wasn't using magic was more because it was just an extra precaution. I mean, there's a lot of things about that whole trip that were just badly planned. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I I, w- I would try and say too we're not being sizeist here, uh, no. but but just Hagrid no. in general being too big and then being on a broom would be even worse. Like you know, so it's like him <laughs> flying. You know, is is like bigger. So that's why they don't use like magical means of say transportation and, and that. I think it's it's all about keeping a low profile, less so that it's illegal. Although I do like the idea of Hagrid maybe going back to school even but it, i mean the time has passed but like even in even harry's third year or something he you know after his name is cleared in chamber if haggard shows up with like the fourth years can you imagine oh like a fourth my year gosh. class would
3: that not just be like the, the best spinoff there's ever? Hagrid,
0: there's haggard with his desk it's like twice <laughs> as big as everyone else's desk, or trying to fit into the other desks and he can't
3: they're like we had to cut down a redwood tree so that we could make a desk his size. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there has to be a fan fiction out there. I know. There's there's weird. a really
0: unlucky pig that was transformed into Hagrid's desk. Oh,
1: right. Desk pig of oh, the desk.
0: We pig. miss you, yeah. Noah. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh but no, I I think um I think that's what it is. Although it's possible that it's still illegal we know that Hagrid only knows so little. Of magic and even if madame Maxime were with him i think the idea is just to not and, and seeing as how they were followed by death eaters i think it's important not to show you know give off too many signs um of having been magic been doing magic
2: if and correct me if i'm wrong but isn't the really the only example of any kind of adult trying to learn magic is when squib or when filch gets that squib package for the quick spell right. thing yeah and yeah. it And Rowling said it didn't work for him anyway, and it was just a scam, but it is something that's out there for adults to learn magic, so I'm wondering if there is a way for overage wizards to learn magic?
0: It's a shame that the quick spell course was a, was a scam. If if J.K. Rowling really said that, that's that's a shame. Yeah, she did. She confirmed. I that. mean, it could just be the case that Squibs really just can't do magic, like that. It's it was a lie, like it was a scam, not because they're evil, but because because it's actually not possible. Or if the possibility is there, it's just that quick spell was corrupt and wrong.
2: Yeah, but as far mm. as Hagrid goes, I mean, I don't, I don't. It is kind of funny because after he is acquitted of his supposed crime and sent back to hogwarts nobody really talks about it ever again right <laughs> no.
0: well the thing is too he could be getting private lessons with his co-workers
1: oh, oh come on
2: that would be that's a nice thought what do
1: you
0: mean come what do you mean come on he lives <laughs> at a school for crying out loud
2: <laughs> ain't nobody like, got time the- for that no, yeah. mean, ain't
0: nobody got time for that. <laughs> he's he's in the staff room, right? And he wants to learn something. Well, so like, yeah, he but he's
2: not rest. even supposed to have that wand in his umbrella.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I, I think, though, that if Hagrid were really serious about it, I'm sure that Dumbledore would make sure that the other teachers, grudgingly or not, got him some learning. You know, learned him some, some stuff.
2: Learned him got some him stuff. some learning that... and learned him some stuff. I am a little shocked that he would be put into a teaching position without any further but
3: i just feel so bad for him like the whole series i just want to like hug him
2: <laughs> Lindsay will you... Lindsay will be hagrid's tutor i will perfect
0: you're not a very good slytherin Lindsay. i know that's <laughs> very true. Hug, that's very uncharacteristic for Dang any it. of the slytherins she
2: has ambitions for Hagrid, and it's kind of cunning because he's not legally supposed to be doing that anyway. So That's true, there you go. It works, we made it work. Okay,
0: all right.
3: And and that was a nice heart very deep
1: down. Okay, so our next comment comes from Minerva Lupin on the forums, nice, Uh, you think they're married? Yeah, is that like their married name or something? I don't know, (laughs) anyway. So it is again on the topic of Hagrid, since of course the last chapter was basically all about him. It says I know that Hagrid just got back, and maybe there was no time for long explanations, but why did Dumbledore not warn him about Umbridge? Surely there could have been an owl or letter of Patronus waiting for him at his hut, explaining the situation at Hogwarts, or at least a very quick warning to watch out for her. Dumbledore must have known that she would be on Hagrid the second he got back, seeing as she was questioning everyone about his whereabouts since term started, I am sure. A warning would have been in order, especially considering Hagrid's past lessons.
0: I completely agree, especially using the events of this coming chapter that we're about to read, or that we have read but we're about to discuss. Um, Hagrid is basically thrown to the dogs. Um, Hermione tries her best to warn him and, and kind of, uh, what's the word? Well, prepare him you know, for what's coming. But knowing that Dumbledore seemingly did not take that opportunity... Uh, You do feel worse for him, and and you do feel like Dumbledore, yet again, has, has missed an opportunity here to do something right by one of his charges.
1: I would actually say the opposite. I think it's good that they didn't warn Hagrid, because I feel like he would have reacted very negatively towards her, and it probably would have escalated faster and a lot worse if hmm. if Hagrid had been warned about what an evil little thing Umbridge is.
0: So do you think that, I mean, Dumbledore is basically playing the long game where he knows it's going to go horribly, but be- he's already working, he's thinking a few steps ahead of how he's going to combat the greater Umbridge problem, that he's just letting these incidents with these teachers occur?
1: Yeah, I mean,
3: he is a puppet master, so... I mean, there was really nothing that... You can do against that woman, other than kill her, which I would have done. But <laughs> <laughs> now there's the slitherout. there it is. Okay, I was
0: waiting. How many minutes is that timestamp? Click. There <laughs> it is. Okay. Um. Well, like, what do you mean, you? what do you mean you'd kill her what do you you mean
3: i would kill her i mean
0: (laughs) oh okay any particular method or
3: (laughs) if you read my book you might find several methods um okay. you know that's it's just she's so evil deep down and so manipulative and god i just feel like warning him i kind of do agree with what you said that like it would have made things worse
0: Ugh. Well, you know, he would have been nervous about it, and like, you know, that Hagrid is completely useless. Sorry, Hagrid lovers out there, he's useless when he's frazzled. Yeah. Um, so at least they got a somewhat decent lesson out of it. Uh, eventually, but but I, I just think you know, and to close up this comment, if we could, I know we got to move on, but um, knowing that Hagrid's a half breed and that Umbridge has a specific, very, very, very specific hatred and dislike, and distrust for half She's passed legislation against them. It just seems like Dumbledore's not looking out for his bro here <laughs> by by not... Uh, so I like this point, because it, it really does seem like somebody in authority... I know he he gets Hermione's advice and discards it, but I think Dumbledore should have done something.
1: Wait, Michael, can you just say, use your voices, and say something in Dumbledore's voice using the word bro? <laughs>
2: like uh, what's al- up bro al- alas earwax bro <laughs> 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 <sighs> okay
1: thank you for that it's just the image of bros uh, you know okay So, <laughs> our last comment here comes from huffpug on the main site and it says i just want to explore an alternate timeline for hagrid what if he had graduated from hogwarts and had never become the gamekeeper Do you think it's likely that he would have worked in the Department for Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures and lobbied for separate spaces for giants to live, if he still went on this journey in that timeline, of course. Because it's a pretty awful idea to keep warring groups in such close proximity, and Hagrid seems like one of the only people in the Wizarding World to care about giants, as we see later with Grop. It seems likely because of his personality, but I don't think it would be very successful because most people would oppose any of Hagrid's ideas that involve dangerous creatures.
0: I'm, I'm going to say this once and I I love I love Hagrid and I'm glad that he didn't die in the whole series but um, just because he gets himself an uh, does not mean that he in this alternate timeline is going to be this well spoken activist for his kind I think that his his heart is his best quality um, but I, I don't think it's likely that he will be um, composing theses that, you know, try and change the wizarding public's opinion um, in any topic.
3: I totally agree with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great comment because I, but I think there's who he is and I, he would do something, he, he might, I mean, he wouldn't be gamekeeper, okay, that's kind of, I guess, considered a lowly profession you don't need seven years of education to do it even though he's he's good at it but you know I I think he 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 would have a, a different occupation but but I don't it's kind of like what I see this alternate scenario as being is like if he were like a lawyer or some kind of you know some kind of more like a Hermione who's really bookish and stuff and these I'm not saying Hagrid's dumb I'm just saying these are not the qualities that I think he would even have had he graduated I don't think he would be that much into books or that much into community because he tends to be shunned from any group
2: well Um, you know maybe and i
0: think he would learn to live with that (laughs) i think he would choose a profession that really suited his his qualities i think hell i think he might have ended up doing something with creatures anyway maybe just on the road what if somewhere like he could be the next newt's commander
2: what if he had like hermione and or uh uh, Madame Maxime, like by his side, because we we know that Hermione later goes into law and specifically with uh, magical creatures and house elves, and uh, but the timelines there. aren't the same. Because think about this: this,
0: is, I mean, Hagrid graduated or would have graduated fifty years ago.
2: Oh yeah, we're saying if he had graduated.
0: Yeah, probably. so like, so like, he wouldn't have Hagrid at, or Hermione at his side until it was way too late. You know, to right to do something.
2: Well, there were different ministers; it was a different time.
0: It was a different time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I like playing these what ifs, though. I think we yeah. should have more f- features for them on the forums, maybe, or something like that. Because I think it's cool. It is
2: definitely worth um, uh, lauding Hagrid's in, in, in very deep knowledge of giant culture. Like it's, it's he he does speak about them very respectfully and very knowledgeably. So he would definitely at least have the knowledge base for it. Just maybe well, not I think like eloquence
0: s- still being here for the the trio I'm not not one to point out like a literary benefit to his like character in the series but like I feel like Ho- Hogwarts doing what he's doing being where he is is like the best thing it could have ever happened to Harry Ron and Hermione or the best thing that could have happened to him mm-hmm. you know is for him to be exactly where he is which sounds sad it's like oh he never made it through school but he's he's performing a really important function. And he and, lives at
1: Hogwarts. And like. he lives
0: at he lives at Hogwarts. You are not allowed to do that. They would never let anybody who, normally who graduated just come back and live there unless they were teaching. So oh,
2: yes. and it's okay because Lindsay's gonna hop on a plane to Scotland after this episode and go be Hagrid's tutor. So <laughs> 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 he's yeah. definitely still alive, right? Yeah, he's still oh, alive. Yeah. Okay. Cool.
1: Um, so I just wanted to point out uh, two other small little things here. Laura Albert and this is this is the OGM the obligatory genius moment I think of the comments from last week yes because we kept mispronouncing Galbraithian fire and saying Galbraithian fire and she goes guys Galbraith as a mispronunciation of Galbraithian fire see I can't even say it right now (laughs) is J.K.R.'s alter ego Robert Galbraith and I just was like
2: Boom, 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 mind blowing.
1: Boom. I mean, she must be a Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, there was a whole conversation about that exact fire, the Golbrathian fire, in a vacuum. And if it's possible, and there was physics, and a lot of talk i didn't understand but it was really cool
0: so when the ravenclaw checks out yeah. you know it's,
3: science it's,
1: was not my subject that's when i would have yeah. i would have left immediately yeah. <laughs> exactly um but that's over on the main site at alohomora.mugglenet.com so if you're science minded or not just want to read good stuff it's there go find it so there you go i that's i know
0: I know we say this every week, but we just continue to have some of the coolest, some of the smartest people on our forums, on our main site, yeah. commenting every week. And that brings us, of course, to the podcast question of the week responses, which, again, were brilliant. In fact, some mo- most usernames that I picked here uh, to read comments from are usernames I don't even recognize. They must be either new, new. or hey. we haven't featured them before. I mean, really just like not familiar names so but still equally brilliant comments so um shouting out to the new people but hey uh here is the question from last week i'll just recapitulate it for you since fudge and umbridge think that hagrid of not going to see the giants in his absence from hogwarts and given we know that fudge does not believe voldemort is truly back Do you think Fudge believes Dumbledore sent Hagrid to the Giants in a recruiting effort to build an army against Fudge? Okay, so these and
1: and sorry, and that came from an audio boo from a listener last week too, which is the cool part.
0: Yes, uh, please continue to send your audio boos. We'll give you the information about that in the show close. Um, But the first comment comes from Astro Black, who says. I think it's most likely that Fudge is interpreting Dumbledore's actions as a continuation of Dumbledore's plot to use the ruse of Voldemort's return as a means to usurp him. In other words, from Fudge's perspective, of course Dumbledore would recruit the giants. They were used in the First Wizarding War. Obviously, Fudge isn't the sharpest tool, so I have trouble giving him the credit to be creative enough to offer any explanation other than a simplistically cockamamie appeal <laughs> to a red herring a thing for which he seems in constant search
1: amen (laughs) (laughs) and a good use good use of cockamamie that was very good i think that's the first time we've heard that word on this show
0: it's possible it's possible we've said many cockamamie things but not the word (laughs) so uh, next comment comes from Celestina is my home girl. Hey move over Minerva <laughs> I love
2: that screen name <laughs> Yeah Yeah I you sp- like Celestina Oh huh? my god I wanted my wizard card signed by her And they wouldn't <laughs> let me <laughs> and they so wouldn't. Do you
0: actually had one with you
2: for I had her to my sign? wizard card from my collection That I made and I was like can I get it Signed by her and the guy was like no <laughs> So I just went sadly Back to my corner and listened <laughs> to her sing
0: most depressing moment in Diagon Alley ever. Oh, it was.
1: <laughs> send it to me and I'll get them to sign that it. That would be
2: super cool. There's There are I'll many s- pictures of... There's actually video of my... I didn't realize how disappointed my face looked. <laughs> <Literally>. Oh, you <laughs> were so disappointed when she didn't pick you. Watch
0: yeah. the heart of a fan break <laughs> on film. Watch it just, just break. Well, okay. Here is the comment in response to the podcast question of the week from... Celestina is my homegirl. They say, I definitely believe that Fudge thinks Hagrid and Maxime are recruiting giants for Dumbledore's supposed army. This is a minister for magic who won't allow students at Hogwarts to practice defensive magic for fear that Dumbledore will recruit them to fight against the ministry. If he's nervous about a group of teenagers, I think it's definitely reasonable to assume that the threat of giants being part of the uprising would be nothing short of terrifying to him. At the end of Goblet of Fire, when Dumbledore is trying to convince Fudge to act on Harry's information that Voldemort is back, he tells Fudge that he should attempt to negotiate with the Giants. I think it's highly likely that Fudge, with this advice in mind, would believe that Dumbledore would attempt to recruit the Giants. And what's more, with two half-Giants doing the negotiating, I think Fudge would believe that Dumbledore could succeed in doing so.
1: Oh, I had forgotten about that in Goblet. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Dumbledore specifically mentions he's like you got to send an envoy to the giants and Fudge freaks out about that.
2: This is I about this that. is such a good podcast question because and I mentioned this before we started recording, but Hagrid's tale is my least favorite chapter of Order of the Phoenix because this plot surprisingly to me and this is reflected in the movie but it's also in the book the plot doesn't really go anywhere with the giants they show up at the end of the series and take part in the battle but that's kind of it and it it, it like it just doesn't tie in quite as surprisingly as everything else that Rowling puts into her work does and so I remember when I read the part where Umbridge started questioning Hagrid and kind of knew where he was knew where he had been I was like how did she know that and I've never really further examined that. So bringing up the fact that um, Dumbledore told Fudge to talk to the Giants really helps tie that all back well, together for me.
1: And, 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 and I brought up last week that I'm pretty sure McNair is a double agent.
0: There there was a comment about that, which you should go see. at. I didn't include it because I wasn't quite sure what it was about, but but there is a, a, at least one good comment about McNair. I remember reading that. Um, yeah, there's a, there's at least one. But we do have our final comment here. It's a comment and then another comment that was a reply to it. Wizard or what says, what? I don't... Th- yeah, what? Or what? Sorry. <laughs> Wizard or what says, I don't think that the Ministry knew or know where Hagrid and Madame Maxime have gone. Hagrid tells us that they, quote, managed to give the Burke tail in us the slip around about Dijon. (laughs) (laughs) End quote.
1: That was such a good Hagrid.
0: This also explains... I'll be replacing Michael on audio fiction, (laughs) by the way. Um, This also explains why Umbridge attempts to interrogate him on his return. Why do that, though, if you already know where he's been? Had Fudge known about the trip, I'd have expected him to do the same thing he did later when he found evidence that Dumbledore was raising an army. He would attempt to arrest him, Hagrid, and then send them to Azkaban. Instead, I think it more likely that Fudge is having Hagrid, who is known to be close to Dumbledore, watched just to see what he does. So maybe they don't know where he went, because why ask him where he went if you knew where he went?
2: Hmm. Well, I, I mean so so asking him where he went being like Umbridge's little interrogation, is that what that's
0: in Yeah, little... so well it's specifically oh go ahead.
2: Well, the, she's asking because she already knows. She's she's looking for accountability is and he's what it is. So, well,
3: he like fr- like just freaks out under pressure too. So you could just Yeah. Like he's the worst person to go into an <laughs> interrogation. Yeah.
0: Well, okay, so here here's the reply from Hagrid's drinking problem. Uh, <laughs> Haggard's drinking problem Often gets in the way of uh, comments uh, but uh, Or discussion uh, I agree But I think that while Fudge doesn't know Umbridge has been able to figure it out She pointedly asks If he's been in the mountains Maybe Umbridge thinks That Fudge would think the idea Way too far-fetched so she doesn't run it by him. Instead, she asks slash interrogates Hagrid on her own accord, hoping to get a confession out of him, which would not only confirm her theory to Fudge, but also get Hagrid fired or even arrested.
1: Or McNair told her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Guys, I'm, he is, Let's
0: yeah. consider the possibility.
2: Are we He's a the,
1: double agent. He has
3: to I be can
0: see get that.
2: a
3: hold. I agree with you.
0: Why is oh, okay. he he doesn't have I don't I've never thought he had more than two brain cells <laughs> oh, in come his head. On. Is there the evidence way? for this in the last chapter? I'm sorry I missed that discussion. Yes, b-
1: yes, because how much of a coincidence is it that it's McNair following them, okay? The ministry has sent somebody to follow them, right? And there's death eaters there and it's a coincidence that you know, I think both the death eaters and the ministry sent McNair. He has to be a
0: double agent See I, I just thought like, Here's how I viewed it McNair is the one who chops the head off large animals Or large creatures So if they wanted to send somebody to kill Hagrid They would send McNair that, Because that's, Hagrid's that's,
1: huge That's harsh I, I,
2: I always mean, thought that it was more Because I think that's actually a really great theory That McNair is a double agent Because I always just yeah. figured that he was sent in uh, Like plot wise Because he's one of the few Death Eaters that Hagrid would recognize because Hagrid's had a personal confrontation. Oh, because he's him been before. mean
0: to him. Yeah. Oh,
2: he has a that too. It's they have so a vendetta perfect. with each other.
0: J.K. So. Rowling always
3: puts these little seedlings of things to kind of like create these things in our minds, and so even if he's not a double agent, she knew that we'd be like, he's a double agent.
0: <laughs> she just wrote it like that to freak us out, <laughs> right? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. We Um, need to,
1: and and we know she's listening. We're convinced she's listening to the show because we ask questions and then she answers them. In that case, I take
0: back. I take back what I said about the killing large animals thing. That was while factual, it was probably too harsh. Sure.
2: Well,
1: but, Joe, just confirm that on Pottermore so everybody knows I'm Yes,
2: right, give okay. us the epic McNair backstory. <laughs> there was the a subplot where
0: he was going to be a double agent. <laughs> yes.
1: That one, oh my God, I would die. It oh. would be amazing.
0: That, uh, that concludes our podcast question of the week. Uh, there were, of course, many other um, comments, all very brilliant. Uh, please visit, uh, of course, on, on the uh, main site when we ask the question in the comments and also uh, on the forums as well.
2: But for now, it is time to look into the Eye of the Snake for Chapter 21. Chapter 21. The Eye of the Snake. So, as Hagrid resumes his post of Care of Magical Creatures teacher following his return, he fails to heed Hermione's warnings to change his lesson plans and finds himself at the mercy of Umbridge's latest examination. His lesson does prove useful, however, as Harry finally learns that the strange creatures pulling the Hogwarts carriages are Thestrals. And as Christmas approaches, Hermione and Ron find themselves knee-deep in prefect responsibilities while, for the first time in his school career, Harry is not looking forward to the holidays at Hogwarts. However, his spirits are lifted by an invitation to the borough, as well as the excellent progress made by his peers in the final Dumbledore's army lesson of the semester, despite the overzealous decorations laid out by Dobby in the Room of Requirement. Cho and Harry share their first kiss, which is thoroughly scrutinized by Hermione and Ron, but the high of this landmark doesn't last long, as Harry's dreams quickly dissolve into nightmares, and he experiences one of his most troubling Horcrux visions. Yet, And before I go and I would like to remind the listeners that we do these chapter summaries because unfortunately, with the chapters being so long, we cannot cover every single point. But that's where we turn to you, because we hope that after we have our discussion, you will kind of dig up a few things we missed on the Aloha Mora main site and in the forums and continue the conversation after we have set our points. And speaking of our listeners contributing, we had a great comment from, I believe it was Ashton, in Cape Town, South Africa, very far away, um, who had a very interesting question for us about Ron and Percy.
1: Hey, hello, Hamura. This is Ashlyn from Cape Town, South Africa, and I have a question about Chapter 21, The Eye of the Snake. Uh, the scene at the beginning of this chapter where Ron sticks his head out of a window to yell at Fred and George, who are charming snowballs to fly at it, is so reminiscent of Percy and his telling off of Bill and Charlie for making noise as he tries to work on his Cauldron Bottom report in the previous book, that I feel that Joe may have done this intentionally. Given how many links there are between Percy and Ron in this book, Ron being a prefect, Percy's letter to him, etc. And given that this is the book where Percy walks out on his family, do you think that Joe was foreshadowing Ron walking out on Harry and Hermione and Deathly Hallows? Should we have seen it coming? I'm interested to hear what you think. Thanks so much. Bye.
2: So, thoughts on this, guys? Is this the comparison that Rowling intended or is it just a bit of happenstance going on here?
0: I like it. It's a it's a stretch, I think personally, to think that that would be specific uh foreshadowing, but I think it is um fun to see the comparison drawn between Ron and Percy because they they're both in positions of wanted or assumed authority where they have to deal with their jokester twin brothers, Fred and George. So this scene was perfect for that, and you're right. I mean, I didn't particularly draw that when I was reading, so having Ashton do that really made me happy because it's like, oh, yeah, this is just like what Percy had to deal with when he was at school. Um, so I like that comparison. But to think that it's a specific foreshadowing for him leaving them, I no, I, don't, I just don't think all the pieces are there quite yet.
1: I concur, Eric Skull.
0: thank you cat miller
2: i always thought that what because the book goes this particular book goes to great lengths to show why ron is not like percy in this instance i think the the peak of that comes when percy sends that horrible letter um oh that (laughs) was so (laughs) bad (laughs) 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 Lindsay's is not a percy fan is that (laughs) no
0: that letter was that letter had merit though that letter was good (laughs)
2: it was a good good,
0: yeah yeah it showed it showed how completely oblivious to everything he is and uh From that comes a certain quality of innocence that I like to prescribe to people, characters that everyone else hates, but that I choose to like. No, it
3: just showed what a twat he was. Can I say that on that? (laughs) (laughs) Caleb,
2: is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Or to put it another way. (laughs) Well, and I've always kind of considered the foreshadowing for this more to come from Goblet of Fire and Ron's behavior during that sequence, because... I always felt sure. that Deathly his behavior in Deadly Hallows in that moment is almost an exact repeat of what he does mm-hmm. in Goblet of Fire to Harry. Oh,
0: cuz he does abandon Harry for like that month or two.
2: Yes, and they go pretty they cut pretty deep with their remarks to each other in both situations. So, mm. but a very interesting way to kind of tie the two together, especially because this chapter does really push that Ron and and kind of remind us because we haven't seen it for a while that Ron and Hermione are actually prefects this year and have a lot of things to do outside of school work. Um, but moving on from that, we get to some of the things that came up during Hagrid's lesson on thestrals. I don't want to focus too much on thestrals because I think we've talked out thestrals as much as we can with all of the information we have on them. Um, but I do want to talk about Umbridge's evaluation of Hagrid. And specifically the trio's reaction to it. Because what I thought was interesting about how this situation is written is that... And I have I read it over a few times to make sure. Harry doesn't really have a reaction or an opinion about how this all goes down. At least it's not yeah. really shown. We get our reaction instead from Hermione. Um, a very particularly passionate one. Uh, and I just... Was wondering why because this seems like a perfect opportunity for Harry to to get in trouble again with Umbridge. Why does uh, why doesn't he say anything?
0: You know, it is weird because he is he is in passive mode though. You know, she writes in this mm. scene. As I was reading this, this this really um, stuck out to me was how. He it says what the students in the left of the ro- of like the forest are doing, and then it immediately like he jerks his head right, and it says what the people on the right are doing and thinking. And I'm thinking Harry's just standing there, quickly turning his head left, right, left, right, <laughs> writing down because it's written down how the whole class like reacts to thestrals, what's going on. Some you know Ron is like looking off the distance, who can <clears> see them, who can't. Harry's just has no room to be this character at this moment because he's just writing down everything you know everything is happening so that he's just observing it. so i i think that's that's kind of why he's not speaking out loud at this moment is because i think joe writing the scene was very focused spatially on where everyone else was and that's just the part that that soars through i guess
1: huh
3: that's I I, in- I can totally see why Hermione's reaction, though, is so extreme. Because with, like, all the mudblood mm-hmm. stuff, I think she totally, like, feels mm-hmm. for Hagrid in this moment.
0: Yeah, and she really? prepped him. I mean, she tried to yeah. do what Dumbledore didn't do, you know, going back to what we talked about before.
2: I really like um, that idea, Lindsay, that, it, that why Harry falls back narratively is because Hermione's taking the spotlight. Because she relates mm-hmm. right. better, perhaps. Because... And it's just uh, the reason I found it interesting is because more often than not, Harry and Ron are the ones jumping to Hagrid's defense. Um, Right. Because they know that Hagrid's lessons are pretty dangerous and not practical. Um, And Hermione knows that too, but she's pretty open about it. In fact, she frequently is the first one to say that. Right. Um, So I just thought it was interesting. But of course, like you said, Lindsay, Umbridge is digging a little deeper than Hagrid's lesson. She's going for the throat here um but it's just i, I and it's just so especially i am I'm, I'm also surprised because it's so especially aggravating that not only does she treat hagrid so horribly um by basically pretending that he speaks another language Ugh. um which it's just so demeaning but um also that she goes and questions pansy and malfoy um, <sighs> loudly <God. laughs> so. Yeah
1: like she's so childish oh, right? oh, I hate very,
0: her Very much so
2: uh, inter- Other interesting thing to note about Umbridge Because I think we forget this a lot thanks to the movie But she is not wearing pink She is wearing green This was not confirmed that she was a Slytherin at the time We do now have confirmation She is a Slytherin um, I think these might have just been Joe's little hints But uh, She doesn't wear pink all the time she still looks horrible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she, I mean, this, I mean, the green makes her look more like a frog, right? Yes, I like G
2: L Y. And speaking of green, the other interesting thing to note in this scene, in relation to the thestrals, is not so much the thestrals themselves, but who can see them. Uh, yeah, out of this class, uh, we we know that Harry can see them we kind of expect from the hints we've been getting up to this point that Neville could and lo and behold there is a stringy Slytherin boy in the background who is the only other person who can see them that stringy Slytherin boy turned out to be Theodore Knott uh, who was intended to be a much larger character by Rowling but that didn't happen and I found uh Her little snippet about him from her old website. Thank you, Wayback Machine. Um, wow! <laughs> but uh, this was a delete. That's a good
0: use of the Wayback it's, Machine. It's... I feel like the Wayback Machine should do Wayback Awards, where people find the coolest <laughs> stuff that that used, where people find the coolest stuff that used to exist and doesn't anymore. Because one, all of the shade to J.K. Rowling for not still mm-hmm. having that stuff right. um, around. Oh. But but two, I mean, Michael, this really is amazing. Yeah, I'm the, reading it right I now. I
2: was going through last night and look, I was just looking for this, but then I started looking through all the other stuff. And I was like, "Oh my god, we gotta do a whole show just on this. This is good stuff.
1: <laughs> we totally
0: could, we could. but why it's not? Why you? Do. Well, you can tie it in, make it <laughs> to happen. the chapter.
2: But for this particular moment, uh, this was a moment that Rowling tried to include in both Chamber of Secrets and Goblet of Fire between malfoy and not and Rowling said i liked this scene so much i tried to use it twice unfortunately it didn't work in either place so i finally laid it to rest in one of the cardboard boxes where i keep all my old drafts notes electricity bills and chewing gum wrappers i need that box
0: (laughs) (laughs) your mission should you choose to accept it infiltrate the jk rowling compound retrieve box
1: you should use hagrid teach him how to break into her house.
0: Oh, you kidding? She'd spot him a mile away.
2: (laughs) I thought all authors were sent that complimentary by their publicists. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, As in the case of Dean Thomas, which we will probably get to in Deathly Hallows, I know much more about Theodore Knott than has ever appeared in the books. Raised by a very elderly widower and Death Eater father, Theodore is a clever loner who does not feel the need to join gangs, including Malfoy's. However, in this scene, Theodore's father, the same Knot who was badly injured in the closing chapters of Order of the Phoenix, as we will see later, goes to visit Lucius Malfoy to discuss Voldemort-related business, and we see Draco and Theodore alone in the garden, having a talk of their own. I really like this scene, firstly because it showed the Malfoys' home, and the difference between the place where Draco has grown up and Number 4 Privet Drive. Then, because we rarely see Draco talking to anybody he considers a real equal, and he is forced to see Theodore as such. Because Theodore is just as pure-blooded as he is, and somewhat cleverer. Together, these two Death Eaters' sons discuss Dumbledore's regime at Hogwarts and Harry Potter, with all sorts of stories that the Death Eaters tell about how this baby boy survived the dark lords attack so it's this oh wow. my god <laughs> i mean sounds I, so good. I think
0: the biggest thing really the biggest thing about this chapter is that it would have been one of only five like or four like the chapters that take place without harry like mm-hmm. right? w- where his perspective would have been uh maybe third person omniscient just like the other minister and the boy who lived because harry's like barely born barely one but th- that's the biggest thing, I think, to me The biggest news about this chapter Yeah, it's cool, yeah, it involves Draco and Theodore But it, the fact that it would have taken place Outside of Harry's knowledge mm-hmm. um, Well, yeah, and, and uh, to
2: think that it would have been So early as Chamber of Secrets When right. after the first chapter of Sorcerer's Stone We didn't get a chapter outside of Harry's perspective Until the first chapter of Goblet of Fire um, And Hand
0: Spinner's End Yeah So, so there's then, four, there's four, isn't there? the The one at the beginning of four, then the other minister and Spinner's end are both, and the first, and one. then uh the and the boy who lived.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, Lindsay, I always have to ask the authors when they come on. Um, you know, we always marvel at Rowling's very detailed, basically over ten year long plan mm-hmm. that she mapped out. How does that compare perhaps to your writing style do you do you go in with plans do you map it out do you do you just go for it like i and i've i've met a lot of authors through the uh, the bookstore i used to work at and uh it's always a joy to kind of hear what their process is and how they all love to compare to what Rowling managed to do
3: it's like if you were to take my writing brain and compare it next to hers, you'd be like comparing the average-sized woman's boobs with Pam Anderson's <laughs> boobs. <laughs> <laughs> There's
1: no comparison. <laughs> that was the best analogy I've ever heard in my life. Uh,
0: yeah, this this episode's going in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I
3: think
0: episode so. We're going to create, create a Hall of Fame for this <laughs> uh, episode. Uh, She's, what? What? No.
3: she's just so like above and beyond the reality i think of what most authors are like mm-hmm. i i i can't even like I've, I've sat there before and just been like i don't there are no words like <laughs> <there are literally laughs> okay but no character words. character
0: developments like periphery characters characters who you always want to show more of than what you end up showing in the books Is the, does that happen
3: there are, you know, I think every author has lots of scenes and, and little, you know, subplots and things that they do have to get rid of. Um, we call that killing your darlings in the book world. Um, these things no. that are so dear to us, but your editors, you know, say they might, you know, they're not as important to the readers as they might be to you. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of her having, you know, these, I mean, she could have books and books and books full of all these things that she has <laughs> don't tease me right I know <laughs> <laughs> but no something that's why I believe that she, you know she completely deserves to have more money than the queen of England or whatever it is because this woman is not human like <laughs> is, yeah. is
1: it particularly harder especially when like in this case it's not from your main character's point of view right um, you know I think
3: sometimes it can be totally freeing to do that um, mm-hmm. Because you don't have, you know, it's just fun. It's like it's like going to a playground. You get to do things that you don't normally get to do in all eight hundred pages of your book. So mm-hmm. it is kind of exciting to branch out.
2: Well, there,
0: there's a f- there's a few comments I want to make right here. First, I mean, didn't J.K.R. also say that book two was possibly going to be the Snape book instead of Half Blood Prince? Yeah, like, Half like, Blood and Half Blood and, and yeah. Chamber
2: have like a lot of like she had to move a lot of stuff out of chamber to half she
0: said like a lot of stuff about snapes a lot of the stuff we find out about him in half blood was like originally gonna be in chamber yeah oh what? like oh. i mean g- given that given that and then also that this scene way between malfoy and not could have also been and she first tried to put it in and wrote it during four slash whatever Chamber mm-hmm. means that Chamber just would have been a completely different book. like like if you if you could if you could turn some like in a book inside out, that would have been it would like, have been
1: too too early for all the Snape stuff,
0: oh, I agree, but I mean, that's just kind of where it was going though. that was her initial thoughts because she knew it. that just proves you knew she knew it, you know first, but
3: and that's you know that's where editing comes in. Like I would love to see. Like the very original draft of each book in this entire series, like before the editors came in and gave their input on everything because I promise you it would be different like there's I'll
2: get you a i get I'll get you a good link on the wayback machine. Lindsay, because there is actually something on her website about how the potters used to live on an island and hermione's family lived on the mainland (laughs) and mr (laughs) granger saw the explosion when their when his parents were killed and he rose over to the house what hermione's surname is puckle I don't Please, remember that at no. all. She
0: needs- You've gone from wayback machine to way crock machine. Not. You movies. cannot
2: make stuff the, up this good.
1: The cockamamie.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> stop. That's cockamamie. But um, the other thing I wanted to bring up about about what we were talking about too uh, between Theodore, like I guess from this um, little excerpt, we can guess that it's theodore's mother who he may may be the reason why he's seen Mm -hmm. a thestro but but this kind of i know it's not it's not fleshed out it's not cool to poke fun or to poke to poke holes in things that aren't fully fleshed out but like it seems like his father was a widower like from a young age so like theodore probably wouldn't have seen death like all that if it's his mom he wouldn't have seen...
1: Ah, uh, okay, so we're getting into that discussion. No, 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 we're not. I'm just... <laughs> okay. On, on don't the surface,
0: the it's... <laughs> I, do, I especially don't want to talk about that, but <laughs> but I'm just saying Theodore and then Neville who... I mean, my, my whole point is Neville, too. I'm like, Neville, well, Neville didn't see his parents killed. They were tortured and he didn't see it. But then he does say in this chapter, it is answered, that it is, in fact, his his grandfather who apparently died, um, and, or was apparently is the catalyst for why he can see them.
2: Yes, his grandfather who dropped him out of the window, right? Was yeah. that his uncle? Was that his <laughs> uncle or his grandfather? Somebody grab their copy of just... Sorcerer Stone, quick.
0: I, I just feel so bad for Neville. I'm like, man, his parents are tortured and in the infirm, and his grandmother he lives with, and, and his grandfather mm-hmm. died at some point in his life where it was memorable enough for him to now see Thestrals. And
3: yet... Boy
2: can't catch a break.
3: He becomes one of the hottest characters towards the end, so don't feel
0: bad. <laughs> that's a movieism. that's a movieism. <laughs> yeah, Matt Lewis's jeans uh, you can thank those.
1: Great Auntie Enid.
2: Oh, so it was an uncle, was it? Wait, wasn't an no, Great
1: Uncle Algie came around for dinner and he was, oh, was hanging Algie. me out of the window upstairs by the angel. So we don't know the any, so we auntie auntie. don't
2: know that much about his grandfather other than he was married to Augusta Longbottom, I suppose, huh?
0: Correct. God, he'd have to be a character to be married to her. <laughs> the, yeah, point, point number one started off a little far from this chapter, and now it's just gone <laughs> way now, far.
2: So gone. So so let's bring it back. So let's leave Care of Magical Creatures, because it's just getting a little crazy over there. And why don't we go to a Dumbledore's army meeting? Because those are always fun. First, we have to start off with the not fun part, which I just had to say, Angelina Johnson is just getting me all worked up. I am, I just can't, I just, explain. I'm just so mad at her, you guys, because she comes she comes waltzing into that room first thing she says is, oh Harry we replaced you and she goes <laughs> on and on, like this has all been Harry's fault and she even gives him quite a few dirty looks Throughout the rest.
0: Oh, oh come on. <laughs> throughout the rest. She is not worse than Oliver Wood was to anybody at any time <laughs> I don't know when why. they did something I stupid. I don't,
2: I don't know. I just, and you're probably right. Oliver Wood probably behaved the same way. I'm just so surprised that Angelina has basically morphed into Oliver Wood. Like, she's. I, I don't know if she was like this before, but dang. I just. You know, Janina. I'm with you
3: on that. She I hated her like always.
0: <laughs> on. You did not. There's not yeah. enough of a character in this book to hate. Come on. Well,
2: yeah. If Harry's yeah. upset with her, we can be upset with her. So, yeah. okay, Lindsay, you and me are throwing shade back at Angelina.
3: I got you. I got you.
0: <laughs> Quidditch must go on, okay? And who better but Ginny Weasley to be the seeker? for the Gryffindor Quidditch team in Harry's stead. Come on.
2: That is at least a nice little drop in there because as we know later on, Ginny will become a professional Quidditch player. The other thing to note about this DA meeting was that there are two spells that we get a little more detail on. And I just wanted to once again, open up our copies of the Wonder Book of Spells since I'm the only one here who plays that silly game. Um, please do do. please keep bringing a little backstory on both the impediment jinx and the stunning spells so everybody make sure to open your copies of the wonder book of spells pick up your wands and we're going to do a little wand work here so the impediment jinx first of all is a swift uh, a swift use of this jinx can freeze an attacker for a few moments or stop a magical beast in its tracks The Jinx is a vital part of any duelist's arsenal. Being frozen with the Jinx does no permanent harm, though if you're caught in an awkward position, it can become quite uncomfortable. To freeze your enemies, perform a straight slash to the left. Handy in the heat of battle. So everybody, take a slash to the left with your wand. and My
1: wand's in the other room. (laughs) So is mine.
2: Thank you. Well, luckily, we are in the room of requirement, which provides for all needs. So, wands for all. Anyway, that's the impediment jinx. There's no backstory on it, no elaborate history. Uh, The other one, the stunning spell, known as Stupefy. The stunning spell is invaluable in dueling, knocking out anyone it strikes. The spell is commonly used by dragon handlers and other magizoologists to handle dangerous creatures. And by the Aurors, (laughs) dark wizard hunters for the Ministry of Magic. And the stunning spell is a direct slash downwards with the wand, so very easy spells to do, which is pretty sad considering that Cho has never managed to do a successful stupefy charm in her life.
3: It's because she's stupid. (laughs) Whoa,
0: (laughs) whoa, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that that whole backstory was just written for mm-hmm. that, so that Cho can say that line, I haven't ever stunned anyone before, Harry, you know, as she looks at him with those eyes.
2: Mm-hmm. All she oh. has to do I is slash a... the wand downwards.
0: Downwards? It's a straight <laughs> thing downwards, come on. I
3: just want to throw up in my own purse, like, oh.
0: <laughs> you know,
2: oh, Michael, <laughs> I...
0: Michael, I have to ask because you're you're the wonder book aficionado here. Yes, let's just say that you've mastered it. I have. Um, I finished. I, it. I figured <laughs> uh, that's a good thing. All of the, all of the luck, all of the happiness for you. And warm congrats. There's a spell in this chapter that's not named, but Hermione uses it several times. It's described as having a particularly complicated wand motion. And Harry observes Hermione doing this. This is the hot air spell. Yeah, that one is. Hermione uses it on her robes to, like, it's like a steamer for crying Mm -hmm. out loud. The, the The air blows and she dries she comes in on the snow and in from the snow and she uses it on our clothes and then when they're walking back from care of magical creatures she's blowing hot air and melting the snow in front of them
2: so that what is that's is that in wonder book tragically there is no confirmation oh. on what the hot air charm actually is we do not know it yet S-
0: so. See that's a missed opportunity, oh. and her- seeing as how Hermione uses it <laughs> twice Frashed. in the book, <laughs> most—I mean,
2: s- most of the spells in Wonder book are combative um, or defensive. So, mm. yeah. Well, I
0: would blow hot air
2: at my person
0: so, if I were so, doing yeah. something. So that's a
1: that's a charm then, not a spell technically. <laughs> yes,
0: probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By God, the way, that me. is
2: also something that is classified on Rowling's extras section on her old website. What a charm, a jinx, and a. Curse and all that stuff. She How
0: do we that? know this is a charm?
2: Well, a charm. Because it's. Charms are it's, kind it's, of innocent and, and like they're just benign.
1: You can't use it in dueling.
2: Yeah. They don't really do.
0: You can.
1: You'd look like
3: an idiot, but, I mean, you (laughs) can use them. (laughs) I would probably
0: be the first person to perfect the weaponized form of the hot air charm. I'm
1: going
3: to dry you (laughs) off. Come here. I'm going to dry you off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to – no, if I were facing, say, Olaf uh, from Frozen. There you go. In the – In the Yeah, there you go. You
2: are a horrible human being. (laughs) I know, (laughs) I know. (laughs) I've gone too far.
0: I've gone too far.
2: And speaking of horrible human beings, in (laughs) Lindsay's opinion for sure. (laughs) Thank you for that (laughs) dream. We have a moment. Very big, wet moment, with Harry and They put a
0: slip and slide in the uh, room of
2: requirement. (laughs) 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 There's a swimming pool in the room of requirement, actually uh so yes harry and cho uh cho hangs back uh harry hangs back they both uh have a little very awkward conversation about cedric diggory in the room of requirements which leads to a kiss now let's just talk for a minute about this hot mess that we call harry and cho (laughs) oh i thought you were just
0: gonna say cho because that's unfair to call her a hot mess
2: well i think they're both equally a hot mess in this whole setup Let's, let's just talk about both the good and the bad here, because I will freely admit, Lindsay, you can f- feel free to send a hot air curse my way for this. Okay. No, I do that. <laughs> I <laughs> I was a fan of the no, Harry show relationship. No,
3: don't you say it.
2: I loved it.
0: <laughs> he I said it. Loved he, it. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? I was
2: like, "Yes, Canon. I love this. Make it happen." And then Order of the Phoenix Happened. I was like, Oh Everybody went crazy. Never mind. Can we just talk a little bit about what went sour perhaps on both ends of this? Yeah. Anybody have thoughts?
0: Yeah. Um Go for it. well, the thing, she's kind of she's not letting Harry get the kiss he really deserves out of out of out of all of this. Um, it was built up. I really love seeing the payoff, but wait, we didn't see the payoff. It happens off screen.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank God. That, <laughs>
0: no, don't be thankful for that because that was that was a cr- that was crap. That was complete crap. Okay, it's even, she wanted even in
1: the she, movie. They like pan up
2: really. Yeah, fast. right. Uh,
0: she long wanted long that's because they're that's the actors were awkward. If you want to kiss, um,
2: check out Lego Harry Potter that kiss uh. is something else <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't expect uh. it, but oh my god okay
0: the, the basically she's joe is denying harry what he as the hero deserves and i don't think she's shy i just think she chose to look at it from the aspect of oh he goes back to the common room and is then telling them and and and, and this Chapter. In fact, this next scene, what happens in the common room, is probably one of the most famous and/or most well-liked scenes of the book. Um, You know, Hermione gets her teaspoon comment. Needless to say, it's (laughs) amazingly, it's amazingly brilliant. But at the same time, if you're somebody who supports Harry and Cho, or somebody who supports your hero getting action, or somebody who just saw this coming and really wanted to actually see it come. It's difficult because she does cut it off and it really isn't the kiss that he deserves or was expecting. And he says this later too. He just he wasn't expecting it. It was wet for the wrong reasons. He he it was <laughs> oh, wet because no. she was crying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm I love dying. I love Ron. Oh. He's like, I don't know how to react to that statement. I mean, somewhere yeah, between well, disgust look, and happiness for you.
0: She's sobbing and kissing and we know what's going on in her head, so she gave Harry sort of the the damaged, you know, girl that he can help, but he's being more supportive of her. Like, it's not not Harry. It's not sexy. It's not sexy. Well, I mean, some people would question if it could be sexy because, you know, the first kiss is always usually a little bit awkward for everybody, I think. But this was a little extra awkward, and for that I was like, oh, that's a shame.
2: Yeah, no, well, and... What I find interesting about this isn't so much the moment, as as you said, Eric, the analysis by Hermione and Ron, and Hermione, wh- wh- what I just find interesting about how this relationship pans out is that Hermione and Ron are pretty supportive of it, actually. Hermione especially. Um, she end up she ends up kind of coaching Harry on what he needs to do, how to do this properly, and he fails to listen to all of her advice. Um, <laughs> but, because he finds it he seems to think she's speaking another language when she starts talking about this stuff. And I do love her epic paragraph on page 459. Oh, it's brilliant. Where she I love it. It summarizes basically everything about how. I,
0: I was, was, was hoping you would read that. I was actually going into this episode <laughs> thinking, do you man, want... Michael really needs to read that. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. It's a great paragraph, and right. I really think that it would benefit from your bringing it to life. Right.
2: I agree. All right. Well, since we have an audience, well. Obviously she's feeling very sad because of Cedric dying. Then I expect she's feeling confused because she liked Cedric and now she likes Harry and she can't work out who she likes best then she'll be feeling guilty thinking it's an insult to Cedric's memory to be kissing Harry at all and she'll be worrying about what everyone else might say about her if she starts going out with Harry and she probably can't work out what her feelings toward Harry are anyway because she was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died So because he was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died so that's all very mixed up and painful oh, and she's afraid she's going to be thrown off the Ravenclaw Quidditch team because she's been flying so badly
3: Ah, I'm dying. That was so awesome.
0: hot. <laughs> yeah. So we have we have two girls on this show. Uh, is it possible for one human being to feel and think all of those things?
2: Yes, yes. Just because you have the emotional range of a teaspoon, Eric.
0: No, no, no. I, I, I felt honestly when when I, I thought I loved the scene too, and because I felt, I mean, Hermione has just got her finger on the pulse of what's up. Like, Hermione knows what's up. And when this was pointed out, when I was first reading this, when I was uh, 15, I looked at each of those points, and I said, oh, yep, okay, I see that. Oh, yep, I see that. Okay, I can see it. So I was with it, FYI. I was not like Ron, who's like, that's impossible. Oh, my God. <laughs> Darp. <laughs> I thought it all made sense, and it was really a great moment of showing how complex uh, kids can be.
2: Yeah, no, actually, I, re- reading it this time around, being out of my teenage years I was like wow Hermione just summed up what it is like to be a teenager
3: but you know like, I, I think yeah. it's mm. just what it's like to be a woman in general regardless of the age <laughs> like we it are insane like it's just true
1: <laughs> it's true she's not wrong
2: god bless you ladies
0: are you saying guys could not be this complex oh, no is that oh, you can I've, I
2: just here? got
3: married I've learned that real hard oh <laughs> <laughs>
2: But um, just a minor mention. Speaking of how her, how wonderful Hermione is in her analysis, Hermione just briefly drops that she is still corresponding with one Victor Crum, um, much to Ron's bemusement. Uh, nice little Crumb? crumb. said <laughs> So <laughs> I love that. How many other Victor's do we know? Um, yeah. But this nice little. Way to tie that back. And I, I do like that this implication that Hermione actually does, in fact, have a life outside of Hogwarts and not just a life, mm-hmm. a romantic life.
1: Mm, I um, ship so. them. Mm, I love it. <laughs> 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 I, I, I ship Hermione and Crum too, actually. I
2: think they're awesome. They were. So, that was a pretty good yeah. matchup, actually. And it, what's nice to know yeah. is, as far as we know, they seem to have still continued on on very excellent terms since then. Moving on from this wonderful little powwow about Harry's first kiss uh harry goes to bed (laughs) and has a dream which is a it starts out quite amusing actually um (laughs) with i i do love that cho says in her in the dream that he promised her 150 wizard cards and then throws them all in the air at him um,
1: can I um, can I say something about this? Because somebody posted, as, as we know, you know, we've recently, I don't want to say lost, Laura and Noah, but they've left the show. And, um, you know, Noah was always the one to bring up the sexual theories, right? Oh, please, so, please. Right. Yes. So um, somebody on the main site, I'm forgetting the name now. <gasps> it was Astro Black who used cockamamie. Ah. So props to you. But anyway, so um, here she defends his phallus theory about the broomstick because of part of Harry's dream uh-huh. where it says, you did promise her, you know, Harry, I think you'd better give her something else instead. How about your firebolt? Wink, oh. wink. Yeah. Give then, her the firebolt, wait, Harry. Wait, yeah. and then I laughed because I had read that theory before I read the chapter. And then the next sentence says, and Harry was protesting that he could not give it to Cho. is could not give cho his firebolt because umbridge had it oh, and it's like umbridge no. has harry by the balls <laughs> so there she
2: it is she doesn't though
0: um. harry does what he wants
2: <laughs> i want to follow that up but i have nothing i got nothing you guys that was kind of just perfect in itself that but but i i i love that i, I actually that's one of my favorite dreams just because i love the image of her of cho just chucking wizard cards at harry just <laughs> by the hundreds um but of course this little insane dream morphs into something quite a bit more sinister um as harry witnesses uh through interestingly this is where things get interesting through nagini's eyes he sees an attack on arthur weasley um not really knowing at the moment that it's him and it's in a mysterious hallway now, of course, we now know that this is right at the front door into the Department of Mysteries. And we, of, of course, now also know that the uh, Order of the Phoenix members have been guarding that door um, on shifts under an invisibility cloak. But mm-hmm. at the same time, and I, I just want to ask your opinions on this just quick, I can't get over the fact that somehow every Order member has been able to just sit there... Uh, every night, nobody questioning that, nobody even noticing that how this that there is somebody there. Like, do does ever the, the the ministry security really bothers me, you guys? I'm just getting mad. Because- <laughs> yeah.
1: I think that this is a rare occasion because it seems like Arthur fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. You know, and was kind of sprawled about on the floor. I don't think that that's a normal occurrence. I hope not. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it is, then.
2: It just, yeah. this you know, as much as I love the Order and how they do plan things out, this just seems a little ill-devised on their part. Because lo and behold, Arthur gets bitten quite a few times by Nagini, um, and Harry wakes up and immediately vomits, and yeah. then uh, Neville runs for help, and Ron tries to calm Harry down, but Harry's screaming that this is not a dream, this is actually a vision. And what of course is interesting about this particular dream is that he sees it all through nagini and we've discussed the inconsistencies of the horcrux stuff before yeah. Th- this rolling eventually clarified what happened because harry because voldemort was apparently possessing nagini at the time I feel that was just a bit of an afterthought. Yeah. <laughs> this well,
0: seems like this seems like Nagini just no, doing what Nagini does.
1: No, no, cuz Nagini's a horcrux already at this point. So that makes total sense.
0: But but Voldemort never uses he's not able to use that connection. The only thing the the absolute only thing the horcrux is ...are used for is that one day when he loses his body, he can stay survived. He can still That's survive. not
1: true, because he can he knows that Harry is at the... Um, ...what's-her-face's house in Deathly Hallows <laughs> because Nagini's there.
2: But that's what's interesting, is that Voldemort, as well, far as we know... let's not talk about book
0: seven, because she ruins everything.
2: <laughs> well, and up to now, and correct me if I'm wrong, canon-wise... ...but I thought Voldemort wasn't aware of his connection... He's not aware of his connection to Harry... Right, yeah, and not he, yet. and is he aware of his? Like, I know he knows that the Horcruxes are in the things he put them in. Is he aware that he can connect to those things because he never does that or feels it when the Horcruxes are destroyed in seven? Well, I think
1: he can only connect to Nagini because she's alive, because mm. she's a living thing. Okay, I don't think he can do it with all of his Horcruxes, and I think that he probably. Knew fairly soon after making the guinea horcrux.
2: It's just the, the interesting part with that to me then is because the horcrux. We've seen one instance where, our, well, no, that's a lie. Two instances where horcruxes that are inanimate objects manage to take on a life, and right, those would be the locket and the diary. Um, so, so each of the them- diary
1: was different though. That was a different type of horcrux. That was an imprint. That you know that, that some other had m- intent,
2: magic mixed in there with that. Well, yeah, but the Horcrux, I think that
1: had an intelligence.
0: Yeah, but the Horcrux too, the locket Horcrux um, travels with Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and learns who they are, especially Ron, and learns his fears, and then is smart enough, and there's enough of a presence there that it uses it against him. Mm-hmm. So I, I think each of these Horcruxes, as bits of soul, are sentient. Um, even if they're they're unable to do anything about it Because they're an inanimate object Then if you go to Nagini and Harry Which are both consciousnesses They have their own consciousness and But then there's also this soul Somewhere within them uh, Then you can say okay So that is how they, they are linked Because this uh, This vessel Of your soul Is walking around And is out and about doing mm-hmm. things
2: mm-hmm. Well and I mean, I guess I can't say that she didn't plan this because by this point, because we talked a, a lot in Goblet of Fire how the Horcrux stuff was very bizarre because the, the, the highlight one, which um, actually used for our throwback Thursday, was the chapter of the dream where Harry rides into the situation on an owl. Um, mm. Right. And I think kind of the reasoning that we we came up with was because Voldemort doesn't have a proper physical body at the time um, so the possession and the the, this, the visions through that perspective don't quite perhaps work correctly um, mm-hmm. but this still I, I, there's, it, I guess it just throws me off because there's nothing and I don't remember if it's mentioned later in the text or if it was out of the book where it's mentioned that Voldemort was actually possessing Nagini in this moment because in the text it's not suggested
0: right here right Right, because um, there's no when he's through the snake's eyes, he may be reading Nagini's thoughts. He's not also reading the thoughts of Voldemort, who's in the snake, going, "Yeah, get her, get him, get him." Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no other presence noted. It's just Harry is the snake.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what. And maybe since the that connection with Harry and Voldemort is the way it is, maybe it is supposed to be assumed that as Harry sees things directly as Voldemort, therefore he is Voldemort. In the snake, there is so much going on. Well, it's important (laughs)
0: that it's important that Harry's asleep when this happens. I think, Mm -hmm. because it's like his soul or his consciousness essentially traveled through the Horcrux link.
1: Right, right. It's one of those. He would have to be relaxed. Yeah. I just want to say, like, this has
3: nothing to do with our point. But the like, I just clocked out for like five minutes and was listening to you. I was like, this is so fascinating (laughs) that a woman created this world that people do 99 podcasts about <laughs> so intensely like it is blowing my mind right now and also making me incredibly furious that I was not born JK
1: Rowling like <laughs> yeah we we feel that all the time the not born part yeah we get well,
2: that the one the wonderful thing Lindsay is that I I think what's so cool about the books that you write and some of the, you know, I've, I've talked to Lisa McMahon. I've talked to, um, Marie Lou and, and Ali Condi about this, about Harry Potter. And you know, what's, what's neat is that all, all of you seem to have taken some very rich inspiration from what Rowling did. And from even from the sources that she called from where she got her inspiration. So to see authors like you, um, you know, from our generation, making more stuff and being inspired by people like Rowling, I think is a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing in itself.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, she's incredible. I, I never would have started writing if it wasn't for these books. And I think a lot of kids became readers because of these books. Like no one, you'd be like, Oh, you don't like reading read Harry Potter.
1: Then what? Like Mm -hmm. you will love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I triple dog
2: (laughs) dairy. It is astonishing (laughs) that it is a, a completely fail safe, way to just put a book in a kid's hand like there mm-hmm. aren't many books that that can like that's practically something that all librarians we just do is if the the parent Love says it. reluctant reader okay harry potter
0: <laughs> come back next week <laughs>
2: welcome
3: to the fandom
2: <laughs> and uh before we wrap up this discussion the last point which is a bit on the sad end but but it has a happy ending actually um but uh, Arthur Weasley, of course, is the one who was attacked by Nagini in this moment. And uh, very, uh, Theodore not was a tiny thing. This is something else. Rowling um, admitted in an interview with the Today Show, actually about uh, back in 2007 on, on August 29th, so almost exactly to the date here, um, that... Oh, wow. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. If there's one character I couldn't bear to part with, it's Arthur Weasley. I think part of the reason for that is there were very few good fathers in the book. In fact, you could make a very good case for Arthur Weasley being the only good father in the whole series. But I wanted to kill parents. That sounds terrible, (laughs) but I wanted there to be an echo of what happened to Harry just to show the absolute evil of what Voldemort's doing. And of course... She was speaking in reference to the fact that she had originally intended to kill Arthur Weasley in this scenario. This would have been Arthur's last live appearance in the book. And, yeah, and
1: this this interview was just after Deathly Hallows, mm-hmm. so of course she's referring to um, the fact that she killed Tonks. And Logan.
2: Yeah. Oh. She,
1: she would have
0: she would have given Harry a guilt complex that he would never have gotten over. Oh, cons- right. Considering mm-hmm. he has to admit to Ron, I did it. Is what he says when he wakes up mm-hmm. I did it, I saw it, I did it um, if, if if Arthur Does not completely 100% Pull out of this, Harry is Never going
2: to be able to and he's done. That's why I wanted to bring it up And I even considered maybe that we should Make it a podcast question of the week just because This is, what's Interesting to me about how Actually how little Rowling has talked about This particular change Is that I can't see the series going forward in remotely the same way if this had happened.
0: Right. There, the Weasley family yeah. has lost their leader.
2: Yeah. This this
0: everything would have been different. So
2: different. This makes a cute I mean Arthur Shirley would have been one of the people who appeared during the ring scene in the forest. Um, oh. He would have replaced Lupin in that sense. And with that tragic note of Arthur Weasley, we end the chapter But we segue perfectly into our podcast question of the week. Take it away, Eric. Quite perfectly.
0: That was a beautiful, uh, lengthy, thought-provoking discussion, and we want more of it. Podcast question of the week. In this chapter, okay, J.K. Rowling has confessed that she originally intended to kill Arthur Weasley. Keeping in mind that Sirius Black probably still would have gotten it at the end of the book. And considering how important Arthur Weasley is to everyone who knows him, let's ponder how the books would have been different should this death have happened and at this particular time and place in the series
1: so the snowball effect of it's this It's open-ended.
0: Change. Read read into it everything you guys want. What would have happened if Arthur Weasley
2: had died now? Yeah, check to tell us about what how characters would have reacted stuff like, I just I feel like this is quite possibly one of the most like series shattering what ifs that we've had up to this point Mm. right i mean i think all the things we talked
0: about too just amongst ourselves like is he a character that you simply can't kill um Mm -hmm. or and you you can take it many other ways like use future events to inform well he couldn't have died then because this happened you know things like that so definitely have a lot of fun with it we'll look forward to reading all of the responses and, uh, including the best ones on our show next week.
1: And I think we can all agree. This has been a pretty epic episode and we really want to thank you, Lindsay, for coming here and chatting Potter with us for, um, two hours now. I know the podcast won't be two hours, but. I was going to say, fun. so so,
0: so when, when, when people get their episode on their podcast, they're going to know exactly <laughs> how much content they're missing. Yep, <laughs> pretty much. They're looking pretty at their timestamp going, it's only 45 minutes of usable content. <laughs> Where's the other 75 minutes Where's and Parker? what do they say? Kids, no, it's
1: on the app. This
3: has been amazing. Thanks for having me. Um, I literally told my husband, I just have to tell you guys, he has never read Harry Potter, which is just like <sighs> annulment stuff going on there like you, you know you no
0: know, no you should have made harry potter your vows so that when you had to read your vows Gosh, you were actually reading it. him missed I, opportunity you
2: know I,
3: I literally told him i was like if you would just read harry potter our marriage would be so much deeper
2: <laughs> i consider wow. i consider Lindsay that a blessing in disguise that it, because for me someday when i find my perfect guy we if he hasn't read harry potter i'm going to read it aloud to him <gasps> oh okay i like that i do so so (laughs) romantic and i'm gonna
0: be a fly on the wall just so i can hear that (laughs) (laughs) but
2: but Lindsay, before you go please just quick once again remind our listeners about your both of your series and what's going on with those two series that you've got in the works
1: and where they can find you out
2: in the interwebs
1: um
3: so the murder complex is a ya series it's a duology um, and it is set in the futuristic Florida Everglades, um, where the world is really dark and bloody because the murder rate is higher than the birth rate, and there are assassins and a lot of death. <laughs> Hence my Slytherin-ness. Um, and uh, that's already out. The first book is out. And The Death Code is book two, and that will be out next June. Um, and then I also have a middle grade trilogy possibly more we'll see and uh, that's called balance keepers and the first book comes out september 23rd which is super soon and it's about kids with magical powers that go to school in the core of the earth and i'm so excited
2: and just Um, to remind our listeners this series has been favorably compared to the likes of lisa mcmahon brandon Mole, and jk rowling so it's pretty much guaranteed that you're gonna like it so mm-hmm. go pick it up on September 23rd and also Lindsay what, w- where would they be able to find your main horcrux on the world wide web where are you located
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I am on Instagram at author Lindsay Cummings. Um I'm on Twitter at authorlindsayc I am on YouTube I do booktubing at author Lindsay Cummings.
2: booktubing and that's yeah. Lindsay with an A for everybody yes, out there And your main website?
3: Is com.
2: So, if you listeners would like to be on the show... Not maybe just like Lindsay, because you probably haven't written a book. But if you have, or if you haven't, please come join us on the show. We want to hear your thoughts on Harry Potter. And to find out how you can be on the show, head over to our website and check out the Be On The Show page at alohamora.mugglenet.com. We do ask that you at least have a microphone and some headphones and some recording equipment for your um, to actually record your voice on so that we can hear all of your wonderful thoughts. Um, but Every little bit helps. Yep, check it out.
1: In the meantime, if you just want to keep in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com slash Dumbledore, Tumblr at MN Alohomora Podcast. Of course, our phone number is 206-GO-ALBUS, 206- go albus two zero six four six two five two eight seven. Keep those voicemails coming. Um, we do listen to them all. There's just a lot of them, and um, I know a lot of you are kind of leaving stuff from older chapters, and we're still listening and all that, so just keep sending them. Sorry, tangent. Um, <laughs> subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We do love reading those. Don't forget to follow us on Snapchat at MN underscore Alohomora. And, of course, our audio booth, much like you heard on the show today, you can leave us one for free directly on alohomora.mugglenet.com. All you need is an internet connection and a microphone to do it. And keep it under 60 seconds, please.
0: Well, of course, there is the Alohomora store. We have brand new house shirts to flaunt. At you uh get fifteen percent off with the code SHIRTS15, shirts fifteen that's s h i r t s fifteen through September second
3: oh My gosh,
1: I'm going there now.
2: <laughs> thank God. you better
1: shopping's free <laughs> and don't forget the ringtones that are free and available at our website. There's a little link right at the top
2: and as always, our app, which is available seemingly worldwide as we always say, prices vary. Depending on your location, on that app you will find transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. For now, we are done. Unlike Harry, our dreams will hopefully be untroubled. As we depart this episode of Alohimora, I'm Michael Harley. I'm Eric Skull.
1: And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 99, Woohoo! our last double-digit of Alohomora.
2: One person can't open the Dumbledore, they'd explode. Just because you've got the strength of a teaspoon, Ronald.
1: It's pretty awful idea to keep. Is that
2: wearing? Warring.
1: Warring. Oh, right. Like because they're at war. Yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) That's what warring means. Got it. Thank you. We're learning words. (laughs) Welcome to episode ninety nine (laughs) of a little more.